Welcome, everybody. My name is Brazil, and welcome to my podcast. Today's guest is somebody who I just saw on Instagram a week ago, and he posted a quote that really struck me. Um, and what I understood about that quote, what, what it made me feel was right along the lines of what I'm going through in life right now and kind of my journey in personal development. So then I looked into his page and turned out he's a professional boxer. He's a chess champion. He's a men's coach, I, I guess mental health coach, you know, mindset coach. And I just started going through all his content and I really, really enjoyed what this brother has to say. And his name is Mr. Ed Lattimore. Welcome to the show, bro. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm happy to be here. You know, I like you. You didn't disappoint, man, with your your introduction and and kind of creating my official title to be to be introduced. You know, it doesn't take much to feel what some what frequency somebody's on. <clears throat> you know, like that one quote. I believe it was it was about. Um, I don't have it right in front of me because I wanted just to not to read it. I wanted to t say what I felt about it. Right. It was about lying and how that relates to strength. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, when you're dis dishonest people are rather, you know, when you're weak, your method of of preservation is dishonesty, because a lot of times, you know, you don't have the strength to back up an honest position because let's, let's be real here to to express yourself authentically and honestly in the world requires the ability to to deal with the backlash when people don't don't agree with you. And that's just one aspect of it. There's also the other aspect of, you know, if you lead a life where you feel deception is necessary, that means you lack a certain moral and ethical strength. So I always look at line the the need to do it, whether it's it's driven out of reaction or proaction it's still rooted in, in weakness fundamentally. What really struck me about that is that when I think back to the times in my life where I have lied or where I have not shown the full truth, I think I felt like I was in survival mode or it was like the second part of your quote where it felt like I didn't feel strong enough to deal with the consequences of the full truth, right? And... um but I never thought about looking at it that way because when I'm in survival mode, I tend to think, do whatever needs to be done to survive, right? And, and it almost feels like what I'm doing is a strength, right? And in my case, it might be like overworking or whatever, not sleeping as much and just going hard, going hard. And then, um, but then there's times where like I don't get something done and then I feel bad about it. I don't deliver something to a client or like I kind of things fall behind. And then I can catch myself starting to make up excuses because I feel afraid of telling the full truth of like, hey, I took on too much that weekend. I shouldn't have said yes to your project. Um, I was afraid to say, no, it's going to take two weeks instead of one week. You know, I, I never had the correlation of deception to weakness because in my mind when you hear deception when you think of deception in a grand term it almost seems like an evil word oh this person's deceptive oh watch out for them oh he's a liar she's a liar and it's like well i don't consider myself a bad person i consider myself a good-hearted person with good intentions so i don't like to think of myself as deception right but then when i realize that like oh i withhold the truth a lot in certain situations, in, in, in areas where I feel like it's unnecessary, it's like, wow, maybe that is it. Maybe it's because there's a part of me that doesn't want to deal 
with the consequences of the truth. Yeah, most people don't. It's not. And and you have to remember something. While I while I certainly acknowledge that there are there are people or forces or whatever in the world who who just kind of want to see things burn for the for the sake of, you know, whatever their own selfish need. I think a lot of times what, what we're really looking at when we look at something that we deem is evil or despicable or, or not good, we're looking at someone who made, in their opinion, their assessment of, of all factors, their abilities, the situation and all, they're, they're deciding to take the path that gives them the best chance at comfort and happiness. And that's that's just really human. We don't we don't consider it, right? But it it really is what drives us. We seek out naturally the, the path of you know least resistance. The problem with the path of least resistance is that that comes with so many negative externalities and second and third order consequences that we don't fully consider the people we're going to hurt. Our, our better way to think of this is, you know, we don't do a really good job of thinking about the collateral damage of what we're going to do or what we're going to say or not do and not say. So one of the one of the ways I, I think to to remedy or to but to live a more honest life <clears throat> is is to really get in the habit of being uncomfortable. But recognizing, you know, when we focus too much on how we try to feel good, we we tend to shortcut ourselves instead of doing what is best and what is effective. Because what's effect, what's most effective is just to really lead a life where you go, okay, I am saying what is on my mind. So I don't have to remember anything. I don't have to worry about ending up around a bunch of people I don't really want to be around. You you remember all the long-term benefits to dealing with that short-term discomfort. And if you do that enough, the short-term discomfort is no longer even a discomfort. Yeah, because there's a difference between getting it done and doing it right. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like that that man, if 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 you could if you could come up with a a slogan to really sum up people who who take shortcuts and then are like oh what happened well you took a shortcut and you missed all the necessary stuff along the way to prepare you for the destination you arrived at yeah i, I think that's a really a good way to put it you know there's a difference between getting it done and getting it done the right way yeah and i was actually also thinking about the idea of stepping out of comfort zone Right, because we hear this a lot, especially in the fitness world and in the personal development frame, right? Of saying, hey, we have to step out of our comfort zone. And I think, at least for me, that word, like feeling uncomfortable and discomfort, it has this negative, obvious um, tone to it that it doesn't feel like it's something I want to strive for. I don't want to strive to be uncomfortable. So the way I've reframed it in my mind is, is expanding my comfort zone to now include something that I used to dread doing, right? Like I just recently, not that I used to dread it, but um, I just recently hired a personal trainer, right? And even though my apartment has had a gym and I've been in this apartment for like a year and a half, I haven't gone to the gym almost 
any times, right? Because it was like, oh, I had this excuse. I had it was it was unfamiliar, or it was like a little more effort than I wanted to put in, or whatever, right? It was uncomfortable. But now that I'm getting into it, I've realized that it's not about me doing something that's uncomfortable. It's about me expanding my comforts, where now I feel comfortable at the gym. To where now the gym I associate, maybe it's doing something that's unfamiliar or basically just not bowing down to my own resistance, right? Here's, what's, here's one of the cool things about, about boxing, right? Just just not, not a pivot or anything, but, but this is where a really relevant experience in my life comes into play. Uh, to the next level of that, you, you're not even seeking to expand your comfort zone. If we want to use like kind of a cliche, you're the next level above that getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And then what's the next level above that? Well, to where you don't really even consider how you feel. I always say, or have always said that the, the, the difficulty of something is irrelevant if it is vital to your success. Mm, facts. When I was training and when I was fighting, uh, I don't remember many days where I was like, oh, this is fantastic because because boxing is it's just a miserable sport. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there there is a very small moment of, of glory if you win. And everything else, the, the lifestyle and the sacrifice and the the, the grind, if you really want to be good. And the lack of support, all this, it's just par for the course, the pain, par for the course. And so you you realize there's never really going to be this comfortable moment. You just aren't going to fight anymore, <laughs> right? And if you want to keep fighting, you're just going to have to go, well, this is just part of the deal. And so you stop looking for this imaginary thing called comfort. Instead, you just... Get after what needs to be done because you've decided that's what needs to be done. And I think that's a powerful attitude, uh, far more powerful than, you know, trying to become comfortable, being uncomfortable. Much better to just go. Comfort is not an issue for me, because when you think about it, like nothing, nothing great or nothing. I, I can't think of any goal. It was like, man, you know what I'm trying to do? I just want to be comfortable. I mean, like maybe if you're like, Flying in a like got a ten hour flight or something. Yeah, maybe you want to be comfortable, but but in terms of achievements, no comfort does not rank ever. Like like you never heard somebody you know working out for an athletic event or or training uh, for something or or you're trying to build a company or write something. You know they're not like man. And and you know what I would like this to be comfortable while I'm doing it. Like no, that's. That's so interesting because we we never say it out loud, but we act like we should be, right? Like, you're right. Like, I've never heard, I've never had a goal to be comfortable. I've actually never said, yo, my- Never, never, never. You never think about it. In fact, if anything, <laughs> if anything, you know, we, we, we tend to use the discomfort we feel during something difficult as a metric, whether that's accurate or inaccurate. But, but a metric for how much work we've done, how much we've accomplished. You know? Absolutely. There's things you got to untrain people of, uh, to thinking of, about working out that <clears throat> sore muscles equal work muscles. Not really, but we, we naturally feel that connection because it's a, it's a strong enough correlation.
Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That that's a that's a really interesting way to put it. Huh. You know, and these are these are interesting insights that they come from in my opinion. You know, I think about some of the things I think about and and how I think about them. And I know that my thought process is what was forged and developed because of difficult experiences that whether it was by virtue or virtue, not that's not the right way to describe it, whether it was by circumstance of where I was born or what I decided to do, that there are difficult situations. And I just I knew that there was nothing else to do but get out of it or get or rather get through it. And so, you know, when you take that attitude, when you take that perspective, it changes your entire perspective of, of um, the event. Funnily enough, I'm reading uh, Victor Frankl's Man. I heard of that book. How is it? It's a, it's a fantastic book. Um, and I'm at a, I just finished a section today. This is fresh in my head where he, he talks about one of the things that killed a lot of the, the, the guys in the concentration camp. Where, where they would clean to these hopes. And when these hopes weren't fulfilled, they lost all hope and will to survive. And the example he gives is, you know, that this guy had a, a premonition that the war was going to be over. Or not even one guy. A lot of people just felt like the war was going to be over by Christmas and they were going to be home. And then when it wasn't, a lot of them died, like right in the new year. And he talks about how that's because they were expecting there to be some end. Wow. Ex- expectations can really rob us from the moment. Ex- not only that, but like you you completely, well, no, exactly that, actually. Robbing the moment. And what, what is part of that moment? You know, once again, Victor Frank was talking about the righteousness of suffering and how, how in that suffering, when you're able to step back and look at it, almost subjectively, dispassionately, you realize this is really something, it's really the only way to appreciate what you're going through at the moment relative to the rest of your life. But but the danger, the danger point, he said, was when when you, you decided that you couldn't, for whatever reason, be bothered anymore. Because, because that was like the tough question or the tough question, the, the 12th question they had in the concentration camp. Like, what's the point of living? Well, you you create your own meaning. Mm. And if you don't do that, you're in big trouble. You're not going to be able to survive and make it. So so taking that whole idea, right? And, and it's just fresh in my head. That's why I riffed on it. Uh, when when I'm going through, like, like you know, I grew up in, in the projects with a very poor and then I went on and decided I was going to fight and all this stuff. And then I remember, like, even my thought process when I was going through basic training for the military. I'm just like, well, I'm here. And if if I worry about not getting or, or trying to get out of here or trying to end it, I'm not going to I might make a misstep while I'm here. that can keep me here longer. One of one, I used to have this terrible fear of lightning. Whenever it would storm, I would take off running the house. And one day, I don't know, I don't know where I got the thought from, but I just said, yo, you got to calm down because you were running so fast and with such reckless abandon that if you fall, 
you're gonna hurt yourself and be really and be and really be out here and really be stuck. That was in basic training. Uh, no, no, but I have a great story about about basic training and lightning as as well. But but that was just my life in general. I was like, I have to be careful because I because you can never get so caught up on what you're trying to get to that you stop doing or try to distract yourself from the steps you're, you're taking now, which is what a lot of people try to do. They try to distract themselves from the hard stuff. When the reality is you need to focus and double down. One of the tricks I learned, you know, you, you can't quite control pain, right? But what you can do is focus on it, or rather, before I get to the method, what you can do is, is not yield to it, not let it mm. manipulate you and make you move. And one of the things I figured out how to, to do, and this is going to sound crazy, try it out next time. Whatever you get in your blood draw, watch the nurse put a needle in you. That's very hard for most people. But what that does is that allows you focus now and it won't hurt. When you try to distract yourself, your, your, um, your nervous system always wants to pay attention to the loudest noise in the room, right? Mm-hmm. And the loudest noise in your room is that pain. So if you can take that and switch, shift it on its head and focus, it's how you get through boxing rounds. You, you, you stop worrying about the round ending. The, the moment you start looking at the clock, that's when we know you, you, know, you, you get. But if you're in there in the zone, that three minutes will fly by like nothing. But if you're worried about that three minutes ending, oh, it's going nowhere. It's like, okay, it's like, you know, watching egg boil. It's not going to take as long as you think because you're not thinking about you. Just That's where your focus point is. There's a lot of power in it. And right now, as a culture, we're all being conditioned to not be present. Oh, um, goodness. It, it, is, it is a disease, man. Like, writing. I, 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 I make my living writing. And I know that if I, if I give in to everything around me, I won't write. I won't, I won't produce content, but it's hard because you want to put the content up and check the likes and, and how people respond or see the stats. So, you, and so what I have to do, and this is right on, right in line with what you're saying, I have to focus on putting together a great piece of content, regardless of how people are going to perceive it. A great piece, you know, for me that I feel satisfied that I immerse myself and I go, wow, this is a great piece of content. I feel like that's the measure for me because um, when I got to a point where my talents already at a point to where I kind of can't make a bad video, but there's a difference between not making a bad video and making a great video, right? And sometimes I've seen myself in projects get by just putting 30, 40% effort just because people won't notice the difference, right? And then after a while, what that did was it started eating away at my ambition because it didn't feel satisfying like I was really putting in my all. Like to me, my measure, it's like I know how long, sometimes a video can be done really quickly. Sometimes I need to spend a few extra days on it, really getting it right. And it's just about me tuning into myself. And what I noticed for me that takes me out of that is when I'm in the illusion of survival. Which is interesting, right? Because, because like like you, you know, I'm I'm a I'm an immigrant. So you know, we moved to America when I was ten. Didn't know any English. My parents were pretty low income as well, and I went to Cleveland and then to Kentucky and then to Chicago. And um, I've always been short on money, but high on creativity, right? And then in the last year and a half, I've had the best business year ever. 
I'm talking like 10, 20 X what I've ever made in a year before. And I'm like actually like financially secure now. And I still feel myself getting that, that financial trauma of survival mode, right? To where like I still was like taking on everything, saying yes to all the projects. And it was like, yeah, yeah. But you know, because I'm at run out of money. It's like, dude, what are you talking? Like you're doing okay. And it's like, it's, it's conditioned in there. So one of the things that I'm reconditioning now on a better tone is to not draw my motivation from scarcity, right? Because at the beginning of my life, I didn't have anything. So the thought of like, fuck it, I got nothing. I'm going to build it because I got nothing. That was the motivation. Now I got stuff. And I want to be, gr- I want to be grateful for what I have, right? You know, one of the things that I talk about too is I tell guys all the time, because I still do some coaching or I go up to the gym or guys will talk to me and I, I tell guys all the time, I say, look, uh, you got to make sure you have a good reason for doing this because if you have a bad one, you're going to find out when that bad one no longer exists. Mm. So guys like will go, the big one, they think they're going to make money. Well, newsflash, there's no money in fighting. But uh, they think they're going to make it. And so when they've been at this for five six, seven years, uh, and they've made nothing realistically in debt if they've only been in it for, for five to six years unless they're like a great talent, they they want to stop. Or they get into it for attention. You know, they, they want people to respect them and, and they want girls to like them. And then when they find out most people don't care and girls don't care you fight so much, it's more that you're in shape or whatever. Um, that, that sucks a lot of ambition away. So the, the things left to focus on, like, you know, what I, what I focused on and what I try to tell guys to focus on is you want to focus on the mastery, uh, the, the improvement, the feeling of doing something right that you love, because no one can take those things away from you. Like when you lose, and it's amazing how few friends you have when you lose, right? Uh, it's amazing how unpopular you are. When you, when you realize how broke you're going to be and how broke you are, that's really going to blow your mind. But if you let those things stop you, then you're never going to, you, you won't continue to improve. You won't get any, you, 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 you lose the likelihood or you, you greatly decrease the likelihood of ever achieving success because you're chasing it. It's it's a it's a, a carrot. It's an illusory carrot, and and your carrot is no different. It's it, if scarcity motivates you, well, what happens when you're not broke anymore, right? Success is the greatest uh, sabotage saboteur of success ever. Uh, one of the things I used to talk argue about with my friend, and he's finally getting it, is you can't do something because people told you not to. Because one of two things, or, or, or rather, that can't be your motivation because everyone said you couldn't do it. Because what if they tell you you can do it? Then it's like. <laughs> yeah, or, and what I was going to say, because one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to realize they don't really care. And you out here just, you know, busting your ass full of vitriol for no reason. Or you're going to convert them into supporters and fans. And then what? <laughs> you know, so you have to find these internal reasons to drive and push you otherwise. You'll, you'll evaporate. 
you evaporate the minute you don't get what you want or or we or you don't deem it it's worthwhile anymore and then how could it be worthwhile you're not getting it so you won't stick around yeah that's how that's why i never really got into working out because <clears throat> i've always been naturally skinny and i've been athletic in that like i skate and and, and do athletic things but i guess in my mind subconsciously i, I associated working out to more like vanity or like these weird like meatheads in the gym or whatever right and it was like well i get enough girls as it is you know what i mean so it's like that's not a lasting reason and then i just realized that like you know i really care about this podcast i want to put my message out there i have other things that i care about and i started taking my goals up a notch and i realized that like i want to feel maximum physical pleasure and to me one of the hidden physical pleasures is fitness and stretching and proper balance of the body. I want to feel that the, I want, I want to feel that energy, right? Like I just got done working out an hour ago and I feel fantastic. Like, like it's, it was uncomfortable. I did hard things with my trainer, right? But now I feel the sense of aliveness and that to me is a better place to draw from for working out than just, than just, imagining looking sexy because then what if you meet the love of your life who doesn't even care if you look sexy then it's like oh well then right <laughs> dude that's why like you know i, I never I, I i i'm i'm vain enough right i'm not <laughs> probably a little more than the average guy so so you know being with somebody for 10 years it's be 10 years this year wow um it it really you have to go, well, why am I, why am I maintaining myself? Why do mm -hmm. I go to the gym, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Find your reason. For me, dude, like, it's like you said, for me, it's maximum health. Like, like I'm 37 and I'm having my first kid. That means that when, that means when I'm in my 50s, my kid's going to be a teenager. So that is, like, important, you know, for me to be strong and be able to move and work out and hit the, you know, all that good stuff. So starting now, well, well, not starting now. I've always been fit, but my awareness continues to improve and I really take it seriously because I know that, you know, it doesn't matter what else is going on. If, if I don't, if, if I'm not healthy and mobile, what, what's the point, right? Yeah. If, if I'm sick or, you know, neither of my parents seen the age of 60. Which is which blows wow. my mind. Um, one was not due to health. One was very due, much due to health. Uh, completely avoidable. And I just I think about that like like if the same thing happens to to my if, if I let the same fate happen to me, then my, my kid will barely be an adult when I'm gone. You know, and if we have more, like it could still be kids. Yeah, and it's also breaking the 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 paradigm of what an old person's supposed to look like, right? Because I remember when I was a kid, you know, I'll, I'll be 34 this year, so I'm just a couple of years younger than you. But I remember when I was a kid, most of the 40-year-olds that I saw, other than my parents, because they were dancers, but most adults in their 40s, they looked old as shit. They looked like broken down, you know? And much less people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? But then now over time in social media, you see posts of like people in their 60s and 70s in the gym doing pull-ups, like people that, can, that took care of their bodies. Like your body can last a long time if you give it those demands, right? If you really challenge it. And maybe that goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? About comfort zone. And 
you know, your body needs to be pushed. It needs to be broken down for it to, for it to refill bigger. And maybe so does our spirit. Maybe so does our, our, our mentality and our mindset, right? That's what Viktor Frankl is talking about. We, we can choose to create the meaning. Like if I'm stuck in traffic, like what's the meaning, right? Is it, ah, oh, fuck traffic. Is it, ah, oh, this is annoying. Or is it like, okay, great. It's an opportunity for me to listen to an audiobook or call my mom or whatever, right? Like what can I do in this traffic? It's, it's in every day we have opportunities to shape the meaning. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. I, I just think, I think that, yeah, people miss a lot of chances to add meaning to their life. I think about you ever have a conversation with somebody and they they they, it's one of two things. It's either the newest show to watch on Netflix or it's about politics. And so like like imagine that is the extent of your your we'll call it free, yeah, free time. Imagine that's the extent of your free time consumption and obsession with things that have nothing to do with your life that you can do nothing about um, instead of focusing on, on what you can't control and what you, what you can do. You know, that's why, you know, God bless their heart, gym rats, right? At at the end of the day, if if your free time is about working out, think about like, like, well, first, that's a better use of your free time than most things. Yeah, they're like they're way worse things, you know. I, I like to talk about how, for example, getting in a fighting man. I didn't stop drinking immediately, but eventually it became clear it was either drinking or fighting, and I wanted to fight more. And so, I've been eight, eight years sober as a result of it. Couple coming up on year nine now. Com- like completely sober? No, no trees. Shit, no, man. I am. Did you smoke weed beforehand? No, I I was a drinker, man. Mm. No, nah, I didn't. I didn't do. You know, funnily, I don't. I don't know what it. Is. I read somewhere that something related to weed and chocolate or whatever. I'm allergic to chocolate. Is where this is going. Um, and and my sister can't stand the taste of it, which I think is funny because most girls uh, like chocolate. So there's clearly some weird genetic thing. Um, maybe that's why. But but no, nah, I was. I never was a weed guy, man. Um, but the booze was was the big uh the big problem. It started as a, it started as a problem, then it became a big problem, then it became a you gonna put go one way or the other way with your life, and and one way has booze, but yeah, I'd be doing. I think about how if, if I was doing the same shit I was doing when I drank, goodness, I I, I don't because I love my life, uh, um, and the life I have now, and I know that you know it, that that is directly I, I attribute. A lot of where I am now to to stop drinking. Like, like, was there a critical moment where you decided <clears throat> to stop drinking? Yeah, there was a critical moment. There's always a critical moment, man. Like, um, at least it, no, it ain't got to be your rock bottom. Fortunately, it, mine was not complete rock bottom. It was pretty low, but it wasn't complete. Uh, I had, I had, uh, I was going through a bit of a change in my life, and really being honest, and I think. One of the things that holds a lot of people back is their ability to be honest with one but themselves. Because like you can fool other people easily, right? Or rather, 
But uh, no, no, you can fool the people easily, but even more, it's even easier to fool yourself. And it takes a lot of whatever to, to look in the mirror and be like, wow, I'm a loser and I'm making the wrong decisions because, because, you know, I had to like, you know, what the hell was I, I was 27 when I started making the real changes because, because the changes um, all came together in a bit of a cascade. I, I was at this program in Los Angeles called all American heavyweights. I got recruited out there because, because I beat Dominic Brazil in the, in the, um, 2011 Golden Gloves. Wow, 10 years, 12, 11 wow. years ago, right? <laughs> um, and and Dominic went on to become the become um the Olympic representative for for us in 2012 in London. You know, two time challenger for the um for what the hell was it? IBF and WBA belts. There's so many. Well, they're they're four main. You know governing bodies of boxing but i had a great career and and i was like in the zone fighting and, and really doing shit well the, the program lasted you know almost two years and then when it was cut i i didn't have enough money to fly home and, and i didn't really want to anyway so i drove and let me tell you something i had ptsd from that drive for a long from la to to pa pittsburgh and, and i did it broke so it wasn't like i was stopping yeah. and seeing the sights i slept in my car two nights was eating eating shitty Chinese food, and I, I think I ate McDonald's once. It was it was awful, right? Um, but during that nod, there was a nine month period, I think, right? If I do the math right, nine months. I got back September, left right, yeah, nine months because I got back in September, and I left for the army in June. What made you want to join the army? Oh, this is all this is all coming full circle. You'll see. Okay. So, so during this time period, I, I barely have enough. I don't really have any money. I'm working at T-Mobile, and and my buddy is letting me stay on his couch for two hundred dollars a month, which is what I could afford. I was training everything. Uh, I hadn't turned pro yet, but I was I was training and doing this stuff. But I could always find enough money to drink. <laughs> you know, always always can find some booze money, <laughs> and then. I started the, I, I remember sitting the bar one night and I was like, yo, uh, you could keep doing this. Well, I, what, I, what I first said was five years is going to pass anyway. Uh, are you going to end up, are you going to have more options in five years or fewer? And I said, I wanted fewer options because I couldn't imagine living like, like, because I hate being restricted and I hate people looking at me thinking that's a loser, you know? And that's that's two things I would have had. I would have had restrictions on my life and, and big ones are certainly way more than I have now. And people would have been like, yo, that guy's a bum. He's still, you know, 31, 32, going down chasing college girls, right? Uh, and drinking at the bars, looking for the special. So the first thing I did was I was like, yo, I don't have any skills. I don't have any degree, whatever. So at that point in time, I, I said, I need to go back to school. So I've figured out that. And I said, but I need money to go to school. <laughs> and so I joined the Army and the National Guard so I could get money to go to school. Turned pro uh, January 26, 2013. And then and then kept kept uh, at, at, the, at the business of fighting for a while. But 
my, then I shipped off. I originally wanted to like, like I, I dude, I freaking um, uh, cause my plan was to fight amateur in the army as well. Uh, but, and you can, you can do that as long as you're not pro. And I went and enlisted and they said, you got to wait. Uh, because the club, the MOS you want, because I chose an MOS that was that was going to give me technical skills. I was a land combat and electrical systems repairer. What's an MOS? Oh, your military occupational specialty, your your okay. job in the army, right? Yeah. So I chose one that would, would would train me in electronics and everything. And they were like, "Well, the next class that it, it'll work for you, you'll have to go to basic in June." And I was trying to leave like ASAP. In retrospect, you want to talk about one of the best things to happen to me? That was because I was I, I wasn't sure I was going to make enough money, but it allowed me to really solidify the relationship with the with the the woman who's in my life now. And I also got three more pro fights, which which helped and worked out. So I shipped off to basic on June fourth. Did that? Came back. Went out celebrating. And I, I got back. So basic is 10 weeks. And then my training at AIT, advanced individual training for my MOS, uh, that was another 16 weeks. Went out, did that, came back, uh, celebrated one night. And then and then I, I, I don't remember really what happened. I just woke up at my friend's house. I just knew I drove there and I was like, OK, this out of hand. And now we got stuff to like lose. I, I, you know, I'm back in school. I'm in the military now, so I'm subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice as well as civilian justice. Uh, my pro career is just starting, and I had just met Anna, you know, and I was like, I wanted this is, I was like, this is a nice girl, like I, I don't want to hurt her. So uh, all of that, I said, you know, I'll give up booze for like two years. I see where this goes. After about a year, I was like, why would I ever drink again? I got a lot of issues to work on. Let me go and dig into that. He just went cold turkey. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the cool thing is I was so busy because that's that's really what you need. You need, you're getting rid of something that's a habit. And you can't just empty the bucket. You got to fill that with something else. I was so busy that first year of, of not drinking. I mean, really for the rest of the next four years. But that first year, I mean, I was all 2014 is like a blur because I was working at the bank, doing my military drills. I started I started school from scratch. I had no credits. So I was going for like five or six semesters in a row. I was going to school. Uh, 17, 18 credits. And I and I majored in physics, so I didn't like majoring yeah. some, dumb, some yeah. dumb shit. Like, I was, I couldn't fold that in. That was, that was hard <laughs> stuff. And and I was trying to be a, be a good partner uh, in a relationship. I, I was so busy. I, I didn't really do any socializing, but I was, but I was like making real strides in my life. Like, you want to talk, and start, I started the blog that year. Uh, the blog is now it's about 10 years. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Okay. I think it's, it's either, it's either nine or 10. I, I, I can't remember now. Cause we, we did a whole thing. We redid all the articles and updated. So even the dates don't tell the truth, but, but I know that I, I was writing articles from basic training and having them sent and, and mailing them back. What was your inspiration for that? What was your intention when you started the blog? Uh, you know what? I, I, I've always wanted to write. And I, I kind of understood that I, di I didn't know. 
social media would be what it is today. I had no idea. But I did know that having an internet presence looked like the thing to do in the future. And I said, look, I'm, I'm going to be fighting. And if I have this blog where I'm also writing and giving my thoughts, that's that's a unique angle. Who knows what will come of it? I've always loved writing. It, it really just so happens now that we have this amazing internet thing that, that yo, if you, you know, like my website isn't huge, but it's, it's not a slouch. I do about 35,000 visitors per month. That is not uh, I'm learning that's not like a small site. Not at all. That, that's a stadium full of people. Yeah. Every month it coming. And I'm trying to get it up to 10,000 people a day. And so that's just Tom writing, growing stuff. Yes. All, all that, right? What was the purpose behind it? What was the, is there a message that you initially wanted to get out? Was it just your personal blog? It's my thoughts. I mean, even, even the site now reflects, reflects this issue because we we went through a few iterations when I got a tech team and, and marketing people and we were trying to like condense my message and then I realized that the, the beauty is if you look now I think I have 12 categories uh, the beauty is just I, I just write what I'm interested in at the moment and like like right now my my big thing I am like super into the tropics anti-aging and health so a lot of my articles are going to be about that and that'll just be a new leg and right now, you know, there won't be a lot of traffic, but but in two years, yeah, I'll pr- I'll probably clear five to um, five figures easy, just passively, maybe six. But that's the idea. Like now, I'm intentional with it. But when I first started, imagine like we were saying at the beginning of the, uh, the call, if I had got into this thinking it was going to pay a bunch of money, oh, I'd have stopped a long time ago. Ain't no money in, in blogging, right? Where the where the money is is you know creating content and ideas and are, are creating courses and, and products and right. the audience that you build trust with selling to them. But you but you were committed to the process to the input right to the to the to you getting the thoughts out of your mind and out to people right like because to me writing is like the analogy I use is if you take a piece of steel. A piece of steel has a bunch of magnetopoles, but they're not all pointing. I think they're spinning. And so a piece of steel by itself until it's galvanized is not magnetic. Then when you run a magnet over it, all the poles point in a direction. And now you've turned a piece of metal into a magnet. You've given you, you've taken something with no force and you've given it the ability to affect things. And that's how I think about my thoughts when they're scattered until I I run a magnet over them with writing and I go, ah, this thought has the power to make a difference. People can read this and understand what I'm thinking. I can understand better what I'm thinking. That's a, that's one of the biggest reasons I write is that it helps me organize my thought process. Like, like for example, right now I'm really, I'm learning a lot about like seed oils and why they're so dangerous, but I don't have all the pieces. So I got, I'm going to sit down and write an article to clarify my thoughts. And I go, Oh, now I get it. There was a section on my, there's a section on my site where I, I, I take and I, I summarize and break down books I read. And I do that so I understand the book. So I'm not just one of those guys that says, I read the book. Like, no, I want to be able to discuss and break down the ideas from the book. I love that. That That's really inspiring to me, man, because um, I think that is something that a lot of us could do more of. And that is take the time to stop consuming 
and reflect and produce out of our minds, right? Because, you know, I'm a professional video creator, right? But I also consume a lot of content. I actually just realized a couple weeks ago that my number one addiction is content, right? In terms of like watching content. And a lot of times I can excuse it because uh, I can say, oh, it's for business. You know what I mean? But but there's a difference between me intently like listening to an audiobook and actually learning from it or just having like six hours of podcasts playing in the background just so that I don't hear my own thoughts, right? And I think definitely me personally, but maybe us as a society can get so cultured to be, um, not cultured, maybe a conditioned to be in passive trance mode, like Tell us what's going on in the news. Show us the movie. All these things, right? And then even when we talk about it, we're talking about things that we have no control over, right? A show that I didn't create or politics that I can't personally influence, right? That then us, the real us, is lost and buried in there. And then it feels like it's been so long since we've connected with that real us that shame starts to happen. And then it's like, now I really don't want to hear my own voice. So let me really turn up the TV so I don't hear myself, right? So it's like, yo, the fact that you've made it a practice and a discipline of writing, of getting your thoughts out there, even on new subjects that you're not an expert in yet, but you're sharing your journey and discovering them, I think. Yeah, and 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 you yeah. know, I, I want to be I want to be completely transparent here. I'm smart enough to under, or rather, I don't even want to say smart enough. I am immersed enough in in the the world of marketing, especially on the internet side, that, that I understand that there is a a payoff. The difference between me and a lot of other people who who you know say they write whatever. Is I and I know that it ain't gonna pay off this year, right? But if I do this thing right in three years, it's gonna be magic. I have the article. If you look up how to quit porn, that I have the number one spot there. I'm I'm not a medical site or anything like that, but I just wrote a, a genuine article from my experiences that has held up and stood the test of time. And, and the cool thing about SEO is it's, it's kind of like democracy. People decide, you know, now the algorithm has its say too, but for the most part, people decide what they want to read and what helps them. And the reason why I have that site, the reason that, that, that position, the reason why my site continues to grow is people are reading the content and they're, they're getting something out of it. And that's all I can ask is, and then that's all I can do is just produce, produce, produce. And one day, you know, cash it in for something or not, because because look at this, you know, it, another 10 years is going to pass. Right. I'll be 47. Imagine if I if I have the same I'll be an expert on, on a few different subjects and I've written that down. And I've got a body of work to show I can reference it. And look, because when you write something down after you've broken it down and made sure you understand it, you understand it like like you really you really understand it. And so that's what I want to. Just a passive listener. You're, you're, you're interacting with the subject matter. And like you said, right, well, I think that there's two parts inspirations that I'm drawing from, drawing from what you're saying. One, as a professional content creator, yes, um, like the way you talked about that is the way I talk about my podcast, right? Like I make money doing music videos and commercials. The podcast is an expense for me, more so because I want to express myself and connect with people and share a message. Down the line, it's going to make money, right? But separately from the professional side, even if somebody's like doesn't fucking want to be a blogger or doesn't want to be a, a podcaster, the act 
of writing things down, of taking what's in our mind, putting it on paper, processing those thoughts, being present in the conversation of our minds and intentful with it and not just in reaction mode, right? Because I like to think I'm intentional, but I catch myself constantly in reaction mode, but I have a purpose so I can snap myself out of it and be like, wait a minute, I'm building a company. Let me turn off the TV real quick and, and, and get back to doing it. You know, But I imagine you know, people out there that maybe haven't connected to the purpose yet, right? And then, you know, just turn on the TV as a coping mechanism, right? And it's like, how, how many gems, you know, did you get just from the process of you writing that even if you didn't put the blog out, you got the gem? Yeah. That's the, I mean, you, you want to talk about, you know what I say? I, I'll sum it up and kind of uh, saying that. So I say, I, I don't, uh, I, I'm not smart because I, or rather, I don't write because I'm smart. I'm smart because I write. Mm. And that is what I try to explain to people that if you, if you really put the time in and, and, and this, and, and it doesn't matter what it is. Okay. I, I want to make that clear. It doesn't matter whether it is physical training, whether it's musical training, you're creating media with videos, your written words, song. I the list can go on, right? But what you want to do is you want to take a you want to take a break from consuming and trying to do things quickly, and and put your mind in a place where this is just the thing. This is what you'll do. This is all you're going to do. And you and, and and what you get out of it is the sake of progressing. Nothing else. If you can approach something like that, the the interesting irony here is that you'll likely put yourself in a position to reap tremendous benefits from it, but only by being in it to a point where you're like, the benefits don't matter, or at the very least. I'm enjoying the process so much that I'll endure the outcome. What is the saying, right? If you have, if someone has a strong enough why, they'll endure anyhow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I really like your vibration, bro. I, I'm really glad that you exist and that you're out there sharing your message. You know, there's so much blatantly and um, kind of uh, not implicitly. What's the difference of, of implicit? Explicit. Explicit. I, I guess maybe. Okay, I guess blatantly and sub subconscious negative content out there, right? There's content that is like straight up, just like school shooting, and then there's other things that aren't like overtly negative, but I think program us in a state of victimhood, in a state of reaction, right? And I feel like there's a spirit of proactiveness missing in the general conversation. Most of the mainstream conversation is not about being proactive, which is why probably so many people like listening to your blog, right? Like li li hearing your messages. Because when, when you can be proactive, right? Like when I go to the gym, it took effort, but I feel good. It literally feels good to be taking action, right? And I, when I saw your message, something about it, the way you were talking about truth and weakness and strength, it was like, wow, that really hit me. And that's why I wanted to, to shine a spotlight on you and just connect with you just in general. Not like, I mean, you have a probably bigger audience than me, you know, but it's like, I'm glad that, that 
you're doing what you're doing. You know? Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. It's, it's it's I see the value in it and, and I'm I'm glad that you're sharing it from multiple perspectives, right? Um from what you learn in the army, what you learn about being sober. You know, obviously I haven't read all your articles. I've only seen what I've been able to browse through, but I I sincerely hope your channel continues to grow, you know, and your message continues to get out there because it definitely overall, but for sure for men, male leadership is so needed, especially in this country. 100%, man, dude. You know, if you look at, I have I have so many thoughts and opinions <laughs> on this. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out kind of the best place to start. Okay, so so somewhere along the line, and and there's a there's a few different sociologists. Jonathan Haidt is, is probably the most prominent one. Uh, we decided that safety was was paramount. The problem with, with being overly safe is that humans are anti-fragile, meaning that we grow by resistance or that we, we grow by getting broken down. That's the most basic idea, you know, you lift weights, your, your muscles are broken down and you, you come back and you're stronger, right? Your immune system has to be exposed to, to the pathogen for it to grow and strengthen. This is one of the reasons they think our kids have allergies and it grows in a country. We, we, we know that the incident of food allergies grows the country's GDP grows, which is nuts because the higher GDP, the cleaner the country is. And there's a great book on this called The Epidemic of Absence that, that basically the, uh, the thesis is that we have so many allergies because we are so clean and we're not exposed to uh, stuff to make our our system shut down. Right now, dude, I'm taking beef pollen every morning. And let me tell you something. I have I have a bad like hay fever, and I'm also allergic to tree nuts and chocolate. And what I'm doing by taking the beef pollen every day, I'm trying to expose my system to build up a so it's not overreactive to all the stuff out there. But that's beside the point. The main point is that we want a comfortable world. Humans aren't meant to grow in a comfortable world. But if we if we break that down and we get even more precise, because that's that's general, but it's not the most accurate idea. The most accurate representation is that men are like society's experience. Men is where like nature experiments. And that's why, like, you know, they, they talk a lot about, oh, you know, there's a lot of men at the top and there's no women. I was like, wait, but there's also a lot of men who are homeless. I mean, like, well, way more men who are homeless and in prison, right? Uh, if you look at the average, the, the men and women, for example, have the, the same average IQ, okay? But that variance is incredible. And I don't know, like, what your math background is, but but uh, to give you an idea of the difference, if, if you don't know the readers, if you take 10 people and they're all five, well, you said if you use five people and they're all a 10, the average is 10. You could also get an average of 10, but having five people, one being one, the other being 20, one being yeah. like 
right? Okay. So in women, all of them are 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 uh, ten. So the average is ten. With men, the average is also ten, but you got a lot of ones and a lot of twenties. Okay. Mm. Not many middle ground. And so, so, so what, what we what, what men are made, in other words, you know, we, we come in to the world. You know, you look at you look at the, 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 the power and influence of a 19 year old girl versus a 19 year old guy. Even if that 19 year old guy is like. A shoe in for like the NBA, still not quite as powerful and as and, and alluring is, is this 19-year-old girl can be just being a 19-year-old girl, not even dressing provocatively, okay? Uh, all this to say, this is not a commentary on men and women's relations, but the fact that men need to be made. But you can't make men in a society that is overly focused on comfort. In fact, in fact, what tends to happen is you look at the behavior of your men is dysfunctional. And we know this is occurring because... While the rates of ADHD diagnosis, and I say diagnosis, not actual ADHD, has gone up in both girls and boys in the past 30 years, boys are overly represented by a rate of almost five to one in the diagnosis of ADHD. Wow. I didn't know that. Because we're looking looking at the way boys behave and we go, we're looking at the more like defective girls instead of boys who need to run, play, burn off that energy, be be boys because they're made. They know they have to prove themselves. And, and we used to have a society really embrace this. Not so much anymore. So and, and, and the problem is it's not just the new kids. Like it's not going to be like my son's generation or anything. It started in my generation. There's not a lot of guys like me at 37, right? Uh, and and I don't think I'm anything particularly special. I just know I, I take care of myself. I I, I groom and I, I I train, and I continue to improve and work. And I'm unapologetically me. I, I have to be, otherwise I don't. I know that short term relief of acceptance. Uh, drowns out my long-term happiness. It's just not going to be there. And granted, I had to learn and figure that stuff out because I didn't have the guidance coming up. But but there are even but there's less guidance. Not everyone's going to be figured out. Did you feel you had more guidance through the army or through boxing? Boxing, one hundred percent. Not not even a question, because the, even even the army is is becoming, for lack of a better word, gynocentric. Uh, but it's what's that word? Gynocentric. Uh, it was centered around women. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and kind of the way uh, we want. We we you can make a much better soldier if you can push him and 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 really almost hurt him. But even the women have different physical standards, and it's not going to train and push them. And you know that's a different argument altogether. But in, in a boxing gym. It is it is incredibly uh, meritocratic. Or well, I can't walk. I don't know why I can't say um, like a meritocracy. It's a meritocracy in a boxing gym, but everyone has respect. It's, it's a very different world than what we're used to out there, where everyone kind of acts nice, but it's this this passive aggressive. You know, I'm not going to say what I mean, so it gives me an out. Like no, you know, and in a boxing gym, you're you're way past words. I mean, there are real consequences to being an asshole, 
And and P, and because it's a respect and honor culture, you're expected to carry yourself a certain way, at least when you come through the door, doors of the gym. Yeah, I mean, normally when I think of somebody who's a professional fighter, whether it's boxing or martial arts, it's the opposite of the person that gets into a bar fight normally, right? Because they already have that experience of facing challenge, of having real consequences, of feeling alive, you know, that, that it makes it like, okay, why would I fight this guy at the bar? I just sparred people all morning, right? It's like you get to get that out. That's something I had to do. I I, I was smoking way too much weed um, because I would wake up and have to do computer work and I felt like I had too much energy and I wasn't exercising in the morning. So the only way that I was able to sit down was to smoke weed. And then I just started doing more physical activity in the morning. And now it's different. Granted, I still smoke, but it's it's different now. It's it's a lot less because I'm just realizing that like, hey, maybe the energy that I have isn't a bad thing. Maybe I just need to feel like I fully used my muscles, you know, to then get back and say, okay, now I can sit down. Now I can focus on the computer. Um, when you were at boxing, um, did you have like one particular coach, like one person that trained you and guided you? Or was it like a community? So the way it worked out, it was, it was a really interesting path. I mean, I, I think most fighters take a similar path. Um, my, my amateur coach, the one I started with, um, I had him for a little while. Then I had another amateur coach uh, for a little while. And then I changed coaches because of some, some nonsense at my gym. And, and that coach ended up being the coach of my entire professional career. Except there was this, th that break where I, where I went out to L.A. because of that program. I think I cycled through four coaches out there because of the way the program was set up. But but the, the one that has coached me the longest and most consistently, uh, Tommy Ankello, that was my coach. Uh, mm. The coach I had all my pro career and the last part of my amateur career. Did you feel <clears throat> the, the version of Ed that I'm talking to today with this mindset <clears throat> how much of that came as a result of the coaching and how much of that already existed before? Okay, so to get through the training, to even be in the gym, you got to think a certain way. And you got to have a... And then to accept the outcomes and the way things go to keep going through it, you, you got to be a certain way internally. So I would say... Yeah, I mean, I, like sixty percent me. You know what 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 happens at that level in a gym, especially when I when I devote myself to it the way the way I talk about boxing is like it purified me. Is it takes that the last bit like like you can't make diamond from from talcum like no matter what process you have, okay. But if you find if you got some ore, right, you 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 got some raw stuff, you can pause it, find it, or, or still you can't make steel from talcum. But if you find some ore, um, you polish that up and clean it up, refine it, then you get something real powerful and useful. And but but you need the initial raw material. Well, yeah. So I, I guess the reason I'm asking you this is because you're a very inspiring person, and I know that some people out there watching might feel like, okay, well that's him. I'm over here stuck in my thing. And what I'm trying to draw out of this conversation are also like usable tips, you know, and things specifically that people can do. And it sounds to me like you putting yourself in like 
kind of it sounds like a, like a committed relationship that has high standards. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's, 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 funny, it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that, man. Um, self-awareness is, you know, there are a lot of traits. Not a lot. Okay. So there are a lot of deficiencies you can make it uh, with. I am convinced that, that self-awareness is one of the non-negotiables. And and I think that's why I add, why sports is so great, because sports is is always banging you up inside your head with the reality. Like you can think you're the best, but if you are, if you if you if you're not, we're gonna know real fast, you know. All right. So so self awareness. If you have self awareness, you 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 need that to start. And that's the hard, I, I will say, from having multiple levels of, of the having to, but, you know, look at myself and go, wow, I made that mistake. I got to, that's the hardest part. Because, you know, you, if you're not aware, you, you can you can really pull off some, some incredible juju on yourself, man. Like, but, and, and just some, some tricks of logic that don't really hold up and you'll break down whenever somebody has them. Uh, questions you, you talk to somebody who without who lacks self awareness, and and they'll they can especially a smart person they're the worst. I mean, fortunately, I'm smarter than most people, but like they they can argue something really well because most people aren't smart enough to break down when you go. But but you understand that X Y Z. Let's give you a perfect example. Like I got a buddy. Um, his big thing is he don't he don't ever want to wear condoms. Okay. And so he was trying to argue. He's always trying to argue this idea. And so one day he put on social media, and I, and I usually have a strict rule. I don't, I don't engage with somebody whose phone number I get in my phone if they post some nonsense on social media. I either ignore it or I message them. That couldn't help myself. So, and he <laughs> said he said if everybody just gets tested and knows their status, it'll be okay. And I'm like. So what you're telling me is that if you go and bang somebody, then you bang them the next day before the symptoms even show. Bang somebody new the next day or even two or three days later. Different because, you know, that's how people get down. That that because they know the results from the last time, it's going to be all good. Nothing's going to get transmitted. And all he could respond was everybody should just know their status because because he couldn't he couldn't follow what I was saying. Because his brain won't let him. Because that would that would require him to admit, "Yo, you got a really dumb idea." <laughs> um, and and that that's really how that that tends to go. But but a lot of people in a lot of different ways is it's a really odd thing. Self awareness <laughs> is really important. <clears throat> Look, it, it's one of my top traits, man. Like like I I always say, you know, I call it the scumbag trifecta. If if you don't, if you don't take responsibility, like if you always think you're right and you know it all and you lack self-awareness, that combination, you're like, you're finished. I, I know somebody just like that. They, they will never. It's like watching a, a constant train wreck. It's like over and over again with a different train. But, but you know, the track is his life. It's crazy. All right. But if he could just get self-awareness, 
down and be like, yo, I'm making mistakes. Because what happens is you, the human is such that very, very few people go, wow, I'm just a piece of shit. Like, like there are very few people just accept that. I'm not saying they, they don't, there are, there are none, but very few people take that route. But usually after a while, I'm, I'm really messing up. Let me do something about my life. And then maybe there's a balance to be found <clears throat> between not being aware of our shortcomings and also just not harping on the negative and beating ourselves up too much, right? Because sometimes we can be split in the middle of just being overly shameful, being like, I'm the worst person ever. You know what I mean? When it's like maybe we're just being a people pleaser, right? That's one end of the spectrum, right? Um, (laughs) And maybe we need to give ourselves a little bit more props. And then on the other side, like if like if somebody thinks that they're that they're the right ones and everybody else has it wrong, just as a basic that that feels off already, right? If somebody's convinced that they're the only good guy and everybody else is evil, it's like, well, it's lacking perspective, for sure. I agree with you. You know, um, I, I feel like I I go back and forth personally. Um, like I definitely lately I've been noticing a lot more of what I've been doing wrong. And I think I'm maybe staying a little too, because objectively my life is better than it's ever been right now, physically, mentally, emotionally, creatively, financially, all across the board, killing it. But I feel that in my mind, I'm more aware of, of what I could be doing better. Like that takes up more of my mental space than giving myself props for what I'm already doing. And then sometimes I feel like I get demotivated if I just focus on what I'm doing wrong or what I can do better, right? Like that to me is going too hard the other way, right? Like I feel like I I beat myself up too much sometimes. You know what I mean? I'm like, dude, you're doing okay. You know what I mean? It's like, and you got to meet in the middle, yeah. My, my thought process about it is, you know, you're never going to get in the middle. So you have to decide, or I won't say never. That's the ideal limit we're approaching or the ideal position. So so you have to decide, you know, which one is worse. And I I believe that we are in a bit of an epidemic of, of people not being hard enough on themselves. You know, and and this is why, you know, this is one of the things that Dr. Hyde talks about in his book, The Coddling of the American Mind. He says that the the, the concept of safe spaces, for example, and words of violence, that's a relatively new idea. Uh, It doesn't show up in, in our popular lexicon and in college campuses where it really took wings until around 2014, 2015, where the children of of the, the the safest parented generation ever uh, are entering school because like you know we're, we're millennials solid through and through he has this great lecture where he this part of his lecture where he asks okay gen xers when did you when, when were you allowed to stay out um side without what the hell was it it was like oh when could you go outside by yourself uh away from your parents and it was like, you know, a lot of them were like five, six, but they, they didn't need to like be within eyesight. That's what it was of their parents. But then as the millennials, and it was a mix. Some were like, you know, up at the 12, others like Gen X. But then the Gen X kids, 12, 13, 14 later, 
not ever taking risk. And then there's other markers, two of them not taking risk. And this is all going to come back to what I'm saying. It might seem like it's, it's a tangent, but he measured three uh, markers of risk taking. And we got to take these risks. Remember, that's how we, we grow and develop. Uh, one was the age at which they get their driver's license. Apparently, you know, when we were coming up, it was like, you know, you're 16, go get your license. Now it's like, oh, why would I get a license? 18, right? Uh, the the number of dates they go out on or their, their first time dating and the first time drinking alcohol, all of these things are down. And we know, for example, that like 27% of men under the age of 30 are virgins and both men and really? women are having, le- yeah, are having less sex today than I ever, ever, right? And people go, oh, that's great. You know, teens having less sex, but it's not just that. It's like, well, so are young adults, like everyone in general. So no one's taking, that's a social risk to like try and get laid. Then you, you got to deal with being rejected and all that, okay? Yeah. I bring all this up to say, this has created a really, we're, we're coming full circle, a really safe bubble where people are not hard enough on themselves, where life throws them into a tizzy, where they can't figure out, you know, when did, do you remember that phrase, adulting? What the hell is adulting? Adulting is hard. No, it's just called real life. And you're going to spend more of your time, if all goes well, God willing, you're going to spend more time as an adult than you were uh, a child. You know, at this point, it, what, 30? That's ugh, a great point. You know, 36 is the age where you're going to have been an adult longer than you were a child, right? <laughs> so if you you do do everything right, so this can't be hard. It can't it can't be crippling. You know, people put off star families and stuff like that, but it's not just about kids. I mean, there's like this prolonged state of adolescence where people have made childish decisions. Now, there are a lot of reasons for it. You know, we won't get into, but we are just talking about the general outcome. And I think overall, most people need to be harder on themselves, not easier. And the, and the people who need to be easier on themselves, uh, though they, they tend to be accomplished. I mean, very rarely, look, if, if I see a loser beating themselves up, I'm, I'm not going to tell you stop beating yourself up. I'm going to probably agree. Yeah, you need to need to stop right. being fired so much. You know, but that's just the real type of dude I am. And that's one of the cool things I, I picked up and, and really learned and ran with where, where I'm from is, is I can't <laughs> it's, a, it's a very unhappy existence when you're when when you are not like most people around you and the thing that distinguishes you is really your approach to life. And and, and it's it's double worse because I'm a I'm a black dude. And if you couldn't tell, right? But wait, really? Um, <laughs> but but one of the one of the, I always say, and this is just a general observation. But but there's a lot of truth in it. I think you know, kind of tongue in cheek, kind of general, is that you know the closest thing to racism a, a black dude is ever going to experience in this day and age is when a white liberal finds out that he's not a liberal, doesn't think like him. And and, and the point of me saying that. It's not to vilify white people or anything like that, but it's to point out that people expect me to think a certain way because I grew up in the projects and I'm black. I'm supposed to to, to, to toe a certain line and, and be aligned for all these points. And I'm like, you know, hell no, nah, man, because I never got a chance to coddle myself with, with a fake reality. I know what it takes to not 
be a piece of shit on multiple levels from growing up and having to escape it and then let myself fall back into my 20s and having to escape it. Be aware of that. And and that type of thinking I have learned is not very popular, especially with uh, millennials and younger. And this is why I'm so excited about your mission and, and us even connecting with this, right? Because most young people are, I mean, all of us, all of us are influenced by what we believe the tribe is doing, at least our like immediate tribe, right? Like has some influence on it. And culture and content has a big influence on people. And I think that there's an opening and a yearning now for the culture and content to have more meaning, more purpose, right? To where like, I want to see more people see that it's cool to be like you, (laughs) right? To realize that it's like, oh shit, I do need to get my shit together, right? It's like, like, like that, like I remember when I was in high school, the cool kids were the ones failing in class. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Right? And I'm glad that that's changed. Like, like, like now we have a new thing, which is like buff nerds, right? Like there's like, like, like yourself, right? You, you study physics, you know, and, you, and you're a boxer, right? Like now there's like dudes that like are like, ma- like that would otherwise look like geeks back in the day, but they do CrossFit or whatever, right? So now we're seeing more of that merge. I think it's, it's starting to go that way, but at the same time, the bullshit propaganda is also at an all-time high, right? And it's just putting that out. So that's why I think like you need to keep putting your shit out, dog. Like, like keep s- sp- sending that message out, like making it cooler to be responsible, cooler to be accountable, Cooler to be self-aware, you know? You know, I'll, I'll close out with this, and I think this is a really interesting uh, point. One of, uh, one of the reasons I think Jordan Peterson became so popular is because the, 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 I love crux, his work. the crux of Jordan Peterson's message is that responsibility brings meaning in life, and, and responsibility forces you to look at everything in your life and go, okay, what do I need to lift up and, and improve and get your shit together? And, and, you know, back to what I was saying, when you have a society that, that kind of that, that doesn't embrace and understand masculinity, it, it's going to take a more feminine approach to these things. And one of those things is like, you know, you, you can't be that harsh. With, with women, they're not, they, they are, at least in this society, of course, they're not built like us. That's why they're more uniform and average, but we're the variants, we're the experiment, we're the, you know, the make it or take it, uh, the women and children first for a reason, you know, kind of deal. That's how that goes. All right. So if you get rid of responsibility, if you decide you're not going to try hard, your your life has there's there's nothing there's nothing. Um, you you why why try? For example, why improve? Why bother becoming a producer instead of just consuming blindly? You've not taken on any responsibility in your life. There's no meaning to it, you know. And so what I, all I try to do is is write about the ways I have found meaning and then different ways. Sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. I have a series of articles on my site about learning math because that is really like 
Like, dude, I was a, in one of the articles, I was a failing math student in high school. People like me don't get physics degrees, but I said, okay, if I improve myself with boxing, I can do the same thing with math. Cause I wasn't a great athlete to begin with either. And so I went and put the work in, put the work in, put the work in. And I, and I started a year out from the ground zero, pretty much algebra. And I like went and shored up all of my weaknesses, found everything I could on the internet, ordered practice books uh, because I was taking myself seriously. And, and uh, life is so much better when you take yourself seriously. Not so serious you missed the joke, but serious enough that you are not the joke. I love that. I love that, man. Ed, I, I really appreciate you giving me the time and uh, and sharing the pearls of wisdom, bro. Hey, no problem, man. I, I appreciate you having me on, you know, and now... Now I'm going to disappear and then enjoy my evening with my, with some nice non-alcoholic wine. That's one of the cool things about having this influence is that is that there's like this this resurgence of non-alcoholic drinks and people hit me up all the time. Hey, you want to try these out? Maybe talk about them on the website. I'm like, sure. Oh shit, I gotta try one of those. <laughs> what what's your favorite brand of non-alcoholic wine? Uh, so far, okay. So non-alcoholic wine is relatively new. Because they just, you know, the, the technology wasn't there. It still tastes like juice. The stuff I have now is good. In fact, the only alcohol I really miss being sober is wine. This is pretty good. Um, it's, it's not, it's not, it's rosé. So it's, it's, a, it's not as bitter as I like my, as I liked my wines, but it's okay. It's good. I, I can tell they tried and they know what they're doing. Uh, but, but in terms of like the best, you know, I really like Heineken NA, man. And and every time I go to Europe, somebody's got a non-alcoholic version, which is awesome. I didn't even know beer companies made non-alcoholic versions. Oh man, yeah, dude, it's just big business because there's a lot of people who like. First of all, it's not just sober people. Like like my, my girl's drinking it now because she's pregnant. All right, so there's a whole you know yeah market people who are um, type one diabetics. They they want to drink beer. Non-alcoholic beer is a great alternative and most of the times we're drinking it is more for social reasons anyway right we just don't want to look like we got nothing in our hands we want to be you know part of the party right so it's like that's why that company um liquid death have you heard of that one i have not so it's a water company and the water i have seen that yeah 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 i just i just seen it it's, it's carried like looks like it's like the dirtiest beer ever but it's just regular ass water it's called liquid death <laughs> so ridiculous man <laughs> <laughs> oh man well um where can uh if people don't know where to find you where can they check out your blog and everything else yeah i'm ed Lattimore everywhere on the internet ed Lattimore on instagram ed Lattimore on twitter my website is edlattimore.com facebook ed Lattimore, both of them so uh come on check it out man awesome man well dude thank you very much i hope you have a great weekend man thanks for sharing the wisdom and uh till next time bro no problem man till next time <laughs>